Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Vox Tablet. I'm your host, Sarah Ivory. Today, the most haunted leading man you'll ever see. Now is the time of year when most new movies are feel-good stories about love and family, home for the holidays. Note, I said most, not all. Son of Saul, which opens next week, is the antithesis of all that. Set in Auschwitz, Son of Saul follows a Hungarian Jew who's part of the Sonderkommando in 1944. The Sonderkommando was the team of Jews who effectively did cleanup after the mass gassings in the crematoria. The film won the grand prize at Cannes last spring, and it's hard to watch for many reasons, not just because of the wrenching topic. It's claustrophobia-inducing, it's violent, it's dark, it's unforgettable. That's due in large part to the performance of Geza Rorig, the 48-year-old Hungarian-born actor who plays Saul. Rorig now lives in New York City, in the Bronx, and he joins us today in the studio to talk about the film and about his life. Welcome, Geza Rorig, to Vox Tablet. Thank you very much for having me. I've given a very vague outline of who Saul is, of who the character is, and what he's up to in the course of the film. And I wonder if you would fill it in a little bit. What do we know about him? Well, I think in, in order to know anything about him, we should know what the Zonderkommando is. Uh, the Zonderkommando is a special squad that was forced to be a part of the extermination machine um, in, in the camps by the Nazis. They, they were inducted right upon arrival. The Nazis wisely assumed that these people who were dazed and shattered by the trip in the cattle cars, you know, a week or more without water, they're going to be easier candidates uh, to to recruit for this terrible task. And of course, they were not giving any sort of advanced notice or a, a, a real job description. What What's the work going to be? Instead, they promised better life, you know, better food, um, and they got those privileges. They 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 did. They were not shaving their heads and the hair, and um, their food ratio was a bit better. The, the the living conditions were a bit less atrocious than for the regular inmates. They could uh, have uh, cigarettes, and they were sleeping on mattresses. And probably most importantly, they they were in, in a heated environment, but they were not telling that the heating is going to be from the crematoria. Their bunker, their dorm, so to speak, was right on the above, a floor above the, the ovens. So these people were thrown into this situation, you know, under permanent uh, threat of death, and they agreed to something, but uh, they never voluntarily uh, wanted to be you know um, uh, implicit uh, assistance of of uh, of killing you know their brothers and sisters but they found themselves in such situation and apart of apart from committing suicide which some of them did try to sneak in into the gas chamber and being the only dressed up person among the na- the naked crowd um they had no way to um refuse or to resign so it's important to point out. So Saul is a Hungarian Jew um, who is a Zonderkommando member. And since these people were the key witnesses of, of the crime, uh, obviously, you know, their fate was sealed from, from the start. They, they, their chance to survive was zero. 
And they figured that out quite early on, and that's why they revolted, because they had no nothing to lose. They revolted in 1944, and that's part of the right. plot. All the armed re- rebellions of, of the history of the Holocaust in the camps were done by Zondekondo members. So our movie is taking place on October 6, 1944. It's one day of one man, a Hungarian Jew. He's a Zonderkommando member. And um, that that's basically what happens. I'm not sure if you want to go further in the plot. Or... Well, I think that it is uh, germane, obviously, a little bit to say that one of the things that happens to him is – Uh, from the outset is he sees the corpse of a young boy who he says is his son and he takes it upon himself to try to give this boy a Jewish burial. He looks for a rabbi among the inmates and, you know, whether or not he's his real son is unclear. No, I don't don't think it weakens the story if if it's really his biological son. I think it's more in a symbolic way. He might have been the son he never had. But I think, Sarah, it's important to mention that this is not just a boy. I think most important, this is a boy who survived the gas chamber. That's, I think, it's a very important uh, part. That he, re- he survived the gas chamber. Right, yeah. which is historically accurate. A couple people, really very few, did survive the gas chamber. And so, so he's breathing, and, and just by being alive, he beat the system. So that, that kind of catches the eyes of Saul. You know, it's not your regular death. This death stands out from the omnipresence of death uh, uh, that envelops um, Saul. So due to witnessing such a miracle or sign, if you may, that somehow resurrects a, a, a shred of normalcy or humanity that was long forgotten and lost in, in Saul's heart. And he's grateful for that. He's, he, he sees this boy breathing. He sees this boy murdered by the Nazi doctor. But he feels something. And he was a zombie on autopilot. He was this kind of ghost before. And he, he feels something now. So, so he, he felt, at this my reading of the character, that he, he felt he owes this boy. He owes him one. And what good can you do with someone who passed away besides burying him? How accurate uh, were the depictions of the Sunder Commando in the film, and what were you all basing the portrayal on? What kind of historical documents? This was something that we were really meticulously uh, paying attention: is the 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 um, authenticity, and and the, the the we did not want to deviate from historical reality one bit. Um, we had experts on the scene. We, we um, relied greatly on, on literature, primarily on the accounts of for, former Zonderkommando members, either in, in published books. And, and in my case, I went into libraries searching for their testimonies in the Interrogation Commission um, after the war at, at uh, trials of Nazi criminals, some of the Zonderkommando members who obviously, because of this terrible situation and role the unspeakable moral you know choices or situations they found themselves they were not open not even to their families about in what capacity were they in Auschwitz or other camps but at the trial you know knowing that it's legally you know protected what they are saying they told a lot of details that that otherwise were not published and so we relied on heavily on 
on these accounts, and we really wanted to do everything very precise. Let it be the uniforms, let it be the language, the orders, you know, let it be the geography of the, of, of the area, this tabooed zone, you know, that usually movies don't dare to enter right around the crematorium and the gas chamber. So we did not allow ourselves to take any sort of license to, to fictionalize. So we, we did our best. You said in an interview that I read uh, that the Sunder Commando deserve utmost respect, and I wondered if you could explain that a little bit. I think they do. Uh, they were, you know, you know the term, I just looked this up from Hungarian, I think they, in, in English you call the decoy docks. You know the decoy docks? I don't. Decoy docks are basically plastic docks that hunters can buy online for a couple of dollars. And the idea, the concept behind the decoy docks is that, you know, lazy uh, hunters, they put these very realistic docks into the water mm -hmm. at, at the bay so that the other real docks are coming and they think it's safe water because, look, docks are there. But these are decoy dogs. These are not real dogs made out of plastic. And I think the role that the Nazis, very sophisticated way in psychological sense, what the, rat, the Nazis assigned the Sonderkommandos to do is the decoy dogs because the Jews were coming trained into to, to, to Auschwitz, thousands a day, and they just get out from the wagons. They were standing on the ramp. But they saw these Jewish faces running up and down, and that kind of, you know, they felt like it can't be that bad. I mean, look, these Jews are here, so it's probably a work camp. It's all fine. So they were the decoy docks, kind of just to relax, calm down these people who were after this trip, this terrible trip, not knowing in, in fully uncertain what is awaiting for them. So the... the um, the question of complicity of of into into what degree are you know are they responsible and all that after the war and even during the camp the the even and and I'm talking about other Jewish inmates the Zonder Commando members were envied and despised at the same time they were envied for the mentioned reasons because they had somewhat better conditions but they were also despised of course because they were giving a hand to 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 the to the murder, so to speak. These people, uh, when when the Soviets came, for example, uh, to to liberate Auschwitz, they also viewed the Sonderkommando member as the very bottom of the, of of the of the uh, the underclass of the of even below the capos, the overseers, and they were asking around who is who is on their commando. And once they learned and identified who is on their commando, they shot him on the spot, claiming you are worse than the Germans because the Germans are killing you know you, but you are killing your own, right? So that's the that's the worst possible thing. And I I really believe that we partly made this movie to rehabilitate the Zonderkommando. These people were traumatized. These people were victims. And the the burden of guilt should not belong to the Zonderkommando. I, I think that the, the, we have to suspend judgment. We should not label these people. Um, we, we, we were not in their shoes. And to, in 2015, with iPhones in our pocket, to label these people in that that way i i think it's 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 plain outrageous and 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 i just met a living zonder commander in los angeles a couple of days ago 
93 years old. And this is exactly what he he told me, that the, the, the innocent feels guilty and the guilty feels innocent. So th- that that's the sort of uh, world um, we are living. You hadn't been acting for a while when this role came up. I know you went, you studied uh, theater and acting and film in college, but since then, really not much acting. Yeah. What compelled you about this role? What made you decide to get back into this uh, game? Well, I, I kind, I kind of never give up acting, except that I moved to the U.S. out of uh, out of my own private life, a divorce, and so I followed my children, and that's why I'm here. So, um, what made me decide to take this role? happily. It's because I thought it's an important movie. A movie must be made. I believed in this movie. Mainly because I was extremely frustrated with the genre, you know, the so-called Holocaust movies. the, the, The very fact, as dark as it is, that two Jews out of three was murdered in Europe during the Holocaust. And all these movies I've seen they are different in tones and styles, but they're always about the lucky third, the one who made it, the one who sur- survived. So we wanted to be thought it's more honest if we, if we are making a movie about the first two. The norm, not the exception, but the norm, the people who were perished. Because every every survival was due to a systematic error. Nobody was meant or planned to survive. So I, we, we, we thought that, you know, the Holocaust as as a topic was used and abused for its dramatic volume many times. But no one yet really in fiction film interrogated its very nature. So we wanted to get right into the epicenter. And I think both in form by, by f- focusing on my face and, the, and, and my, looking at my close-ups basically for an hour and a half um, – and and both by the content on, on on that that we are talking about, you know the um, the Zonder Commando members, who I think are much. I mean, most people don't even know what it is. So we were able to kind of avoid the cliches that are associated with the genre. Yes, I have to say I completely agree with that assessment. In fact, uh, I was reminded when um, thinking about this interview of a, a film I saw a few years ago, In Darkness, a Polish Holocaust film. And uh, my reaction to it surprised me, which was very negative because the director is – I respect her. I think she's great. But uh, I there was something about it that felt almost pornographic and voyeuristic and there was sort of a subtle love story amid it, you know, in, amid the yeah. plot. And it felt ultimately like there's a ray of hope and ultimately it was a hopeless situation. Yeah. And uh, – so yeah, to the, me, this kind of shatters every notion a yeah, person has about a Holocaust. Right. Film. I, 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 I do not want to sound too um, arrogant, but I think part of the idea was to redefine the whole thing because, because I, I agree with you that uh, oftentimes movies use the Holocaust as a, some sort of a historic background, and they are running stories that have not much to do with it. And this is not a subject matter like any genocide. This is not a subject matter that, that should be watered down or sugarcoated, Disneyfied. So, 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 yeah. The, those, those, those sort of movies, uh, you know, they, they, they leave. They always leave me with a sense of, uh, sense of disappointment. Um, and one more thing, uh, maybe. Yes. I just wanted to mention about the voyeurism. Voyeurism, yeah. Yeah, voyeurism. 
Um, this is one of the things that we also decided early on, and Laszlo, the filmmaker, was a very principled and great um, director, and he he knew and was very consistent to to make sure that that we are not explicitly, you know, showing too much because because less is more. You know, there's nothing as powerful as as the power of suggestion. So leave things off focus and blurry right just on the periphery and and leave it to you the viewer kind of to deliver your yourself what 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 you are the most afraid of instead of throwing it into your to your face there is no way to confront the the, the holocaust in 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 a, in a frontal way it's just nothing can be encompassed by that it's it's too much so what what we um what we came out with is to narrow the scope, uh, both in the plot. It's a, it's a very primitive story. Story is not such a complex story, and both visually, you know, by 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 having just my uh, close-ups all the time, I think all what can be uh, honestly communicated is just one man and and the face of one man. The face being the place when the world and the person meets. Well, given that, given as you said, that so much of the time of the film and the emphasis is, is on your face, how, yeah. as an actor, do you uh, deal with that? How do you sort of communicate things, knowing that there's all this responsibility, really just up here on your head? Yeah. Well, the question is good because the human face has more, you know, especially the triangle between the eyes and the mouth has more muscles in the human face than than anywhere else in your body combined. Just those tiny muscles around the eyes and the lips are extremely expressive. It's almost like blowing on the water. You know, you can, you don't have to touch a water to see the stirring or the waves. It's enough just to blow it. So unwillingly, so much is shown on a human face. And what, what having a camera, you know, handheld 30 inches from my face, I had to be, make sure of two things. One is that you know, my face, my intensity, my mode of being is adequate for what a Zondar Commando member has to do 12 hours a day. Let it be a day shift or a night shift. This was an extremely exhausting situation, not only mentally, but physically as well. So so that's one thing. On the other hand, you know, I, I didn't want to, you know, kind of show too much. We wanted to leave the character somewhat enigmatic. You know, we, we didn't want to glorify this person. We didn't want to make him a hero. What he's doing is very questionable. And we, we actually are encouraged the viewer to ask, you know, is is this the right thing? And, and, and what he was doing, because what he was doing, attempting to bury this son, clearly did not serve any immediate social end. It was it was utterly impractical. He was jeopardizing the revolt, in, you know, in some sense. So, so... People do walk up to me after after screenings, and some people are angry with his behavior. And then I try to, of course, defend, saying that he's he's revolting as well, but he's revolting internally. He's revolting a level higher than the rest of the gang, because right. the rest of the rest of the gang is only interested, which is legitimate, but somewhat animalistic at the same time. They're only interested in to get the hell out of here and survival. And I think the behavior of Saul. Is testifies that there is more than survival. He is doing not 
he's doing something for someone else and for God's sake that person is dead that he's doing it for so that is a very strong statement you know and that kind of suggests that there is something eternal there there are values that 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 are that we have to hold on firmly in basically in any situation so so you know these are problematic and conflictuous uh, statements and and um so back to your question, the face, uh, that, that is, was a very, very, um, you know, I thought a lot of, of not to be too much and not to be too little. How do you step on and off a set like this when you are portraying this particular character? Oh, you don't step out. I, I don't remember stepping off. It, I, had, I, I was in socializing, having coffees, you know, chatting, uh, you know, in the breaks. It was kind of, I even told Laszlo, the director, that let's, let's minimize communication. I mean, unless you have to, please, you know, kind of like leave me alone because Auschwitz was a planet and, and, and um, it wasn't your regular life. You see, when you are facing absolute power, like like an in- inmate standing against the Nazis with guns, that's you're facing absolute power, and absolute power eradicates the line of demarcation between life and death. It's not so clear what's alive and what's dead already. There is this weird gray zone, this this uh, this sphere of, of a sphere of of misery, this mental agony, and and these people were extremely lonely. You know they were they were they were living with no past and no future, and all they wanted to make sure is that their next breath is not from the gas. And besides, the Nazis, you know, cynically and smartly picked them, picked the members of the Sonderkommando from different with different backgrounds. So they didn't have a common language. So to 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 kind of make sure that their chance to conspire and is is minimal. So these people were very very um, lonely and so did I want it to be very lonely during the shooting. So you, you Geza, were born in, in Hungary in the 60s uh, and from what I understand you lost your parents at a young age as a toddler at four but then you were adopted by a Jewish family mm-hmm. at the age of 12. Did that sort of kickstart uh, a Jewish connection or a Jewish identity or what is your sort of um, personal arc in terms of Judaism? Well, it's all started. My my grandfather, I kind of stepped into my father's shoes. You know, I I didn't really have any sort of real deep connection with with any male figures between four and twelve. So when I could finally, you know, have a man who was who was retired, so he had plenty of time on his hand, and and he was very generous with his time. And we played and we talked a whole lot. You know, he he became definitely you know a, a a father figure to me, and I basically was extremely grateful. So so he was the one who initiated me, so to speak, in into the into the into this terrible family legacy. That um, you know, one day I found a, in a shoebox a bunch of photos and. A, top shelf in, in the wardrobe and immediately I could see that these are old photos, you know, brownish, silverish pre-war photos and um, I felt 
you know, close enough uh, to to my grandpa to ask. You know, I, I knew I didn't supposed to find those photos, but he never heard me. So, so when, during a chess game, I asked that you know that who are those people in the box, those photos, and he, you know, I, I immediately saw on the landscape of his face that that this this put him you know on a different orbit. Like he he was like very moved my by my question and 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 so slowly bit by bit uh, you know he told me that um those are his parents and um and then i learned the whole story you know throughout the days during walkings and um you know i let him to speak obviously didn't want to force this whole thing and um, so I kind of mapped out the whole family that he had an older sister who was pregnant, never returned. He had an 11 years old younger brother, never returned his parents. And he and his brother survived. And so once I kind of got the story together and I grew up and went to high school, you know, kept reading about it, found photos and, and other books. And, and, and when I went to university to Poland, you know, I, as I promised to my grandfather, I visited the camp for real. And, um, and then that uh, visit was, was really a, a turning point in my life in so many ways. Um, How so? Because um, I kind of delayed it, tried to prolong it. I had a great time in Poland. I was there for a year, and and um, jazz was great in Poland. I was a teenager, and uh, I didn't feel like going to Auschwitz. I kind of almost sensed that it's not there is a point of no return. Once you go there, it, it will be a different, different chapter from that time onward, and that's exactly what happened. Um, Nothing remained the same. I, I, I went there. It was a, a snowy day, 1987. And, um, and it transformed my, 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 my understanding of the world because partly I felt like I was living in my own little bubble. And, and once I saw these ownerless mountains of baby shoes and kind of understood what took place in 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 this here it 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 kind of uh i felt like i entered reality i grew up there and and um there was no way kind of to to to, to go back in, in, into my illusions and basically i recognized this that that they lied to me in school they somehow always try to to sell this sort of um optimism that the world is getting a better place and yes, the world might be getting a better place, but the people don't get better in it. And and that that was basically my recognition that what what what's the worth of all this science and knowledge and all the all the threshold of 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 uh, technology and all these things that make life more comfortable, easy and fast and longer and all that, if we our behavior kind of don't catch up and it doesn't progress and it doesn't progress and I'm 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 pains me to say but it's it's 2015 17 years later and the alarming frequency of of of, of the instan instances of uh, of genocide since the holocaust 
you know, Cambodia, Rwanda, Darfur, Bosnia, you name it, it's just somehow it testifies to me that history was totally unable to turn the page over Auschwitz. It's, it's a permanent possibility. You studied to be a rabbi. Yeah. You didn't become a rabbi finally, but you did study yeah. to become a rabbi. Yeah. And I think that for many people, uh, there's really no greater proof to them of the non-existence of God right. as a genocide. So I wonder for you, as somebody who has engaged and wrestled with faith, right. where do you come out in that debate or in that right. question? Well, it's funny because because practically these people are just, they're just wrong because there was a lot of study made of what was the outcome in terms of the faith community and, and of, of, of the survivors. And interestingly, <clears throat> what they found is that, by and large, whoever was religious before the Holocaust remained religious, and whoever was not religious, Jew, Jewish, uh, or not Catholic, whatever, who was who was ever not religious was not religious afterwards. There were very few, you know, kind of like uh, people or groups that that, that you know, changed sides, so to speak. Very few. The, those are the called the, the exception groups, and I can't tell you who they are. The one of them, the the teenagers who la- who lost both their parents, often ended up of uh, joining the non-religious group if they if they were religious before, or joining the religious group if they were non-religious before. Out of obviously the trauma they have been through, um, they, they either lost God or they needed God, depending on you know where you're coming from. Um so with me it was it was interesting when 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 I I clearly this is something that everybody ought to struggle with you know it's very hard to to hold firm to believing in a god who is providential and caring in a personal intimate way um in our lives as as it's supposed to be and and that's the hallmark of 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 God in the bible that he cares and he's there and he's beneficial and so you can ask you know how could he abide this this sort of cruelty but it's not as simple as that and i just reject any sort of uh, simplistic knee jerk ans- answers it's like to me to say that there is no god after auschwitz is as as simple and stupid as to say like the astronauts went out to the space and they didn't find god <laughs> na, 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 na. so there's no god because there is auschwitz really i have news for you god didn't do auschwitz how's that it's a human event done by human actors in human history so Please, just stop this what's the matter with God thing. Because I understand and I'm, 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 I'm willing and ready to, to, to discuss and confront God for, it, for his responsibility, so to speak. He could have and should have intervened earlier. But his responsibility would never cancel the responsibility of, of, of the murderers, right? So let's, let's just clarify that. The man has free will. So... F- so so when i arrived when i arrived to auschwitz i found one unwanted survival in the camp and that was my god he was there and i caught myself praying i was sitting there in the snow and i was praying and i thought i was like why am i so ashamed of praying you know just because i don't used to 
So I, I found God and I basically, I think I felt sorry for God and I wanted to nurse God. So I prayed. And then I realized that I'm not circumcised. I don't know Hebrew. And the breast milk of languages for the Jewish God is Hebrew. I have to, I have to pray in Hebrew. So it was pretty clear to me after a couple of days that I have to go to Israel and I have to learn this whole thing. Because again, I I I got this this survival undernourished, half dead God in my hand, and 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 I was so happy that I have Him, and 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 basically I raised Him to fight with Him. You know, it's 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 it it really all happened there. It's my personal journey. I understand if people lost their faith after, but that's not what happened with me. Uh, I do want to say, though, to some people, they would look at the idea of God in the Bible. You said, you know, people look at the God at God in the Bible as this right. benevolent figure. Some people look and say, actually, God in the Bible in the Hebrew Bible is quite yeah. a vindictive figure, and uh, there's a lot of violence that he allows happen, or that he even uh, requests that happen. Right. Well, here is the thing. First of all, if if I would know him, I would be him. So I, I, that's number one. I do not want a God I understand fully, because then why do I need a God for? Right. So, <laughs> so, so that, that's just one thing. He, if if there is a God, he, his intelligence is infinite, unlike mine. So I can't fully grasp what is he doing and and, and why for. But 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 all, all in all, I think if if you look at the main ideas and institutions of the Hebrew Bible, their take on slavery, so to speak, the, the idea of Shabbat, which is even a, rest, a day of rest for animals and everybody else, the, 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 the concept that, that falls out of, of stating first, first in history that every man is created after the image of God, that is for me the text proof and the prime source for human dignity. We are not allowed to kill simply because God is a sort of pilot flame in everybody's eyes, and we are not allowed to extinguish that. So, so for me, the ideas of the Torah are revolutionary, and 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 they they are vehicles of progress in in society. I understand problematic parts and not denying it, but all in all, I think um, what. Matters, of course, the text is very important, but l- actions speak louder even than text. And 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 I and I actually would would say that I I would much rather have a text, a divine text, a revelation that has problematic parts of it, and whose heroes are faulty and human, and and whose God is even sometimes you know ununderstandable as having some sort of a sacred text in which everybody is perfect, right? I, I, I don't get that. You know, Mo- Moses wasn't perfect. Nobody was perfect. It's just we are very fragile and fa- frail human beings. And yes, God also can, can be jealous and can be angry, so to speak. Obviously, these, these are not necessarily words that you can uh, identify with, 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 the mo- with the real emotions of God. But, but um, all in all, I think those foundational stories that you find in the Bible— the, the concept of, of what a parent should be, for example, and, and Abraham, who is basically for once and all ends the idea of, of child sacrifice and, and human sacrifice. 
So, so I, I, to me, these things are are very, very high standards that I actually cannot even live up to. I want to ask you what the reception to the film has been so far uh, in Hungary and also in screenings that you've had uh, here in the states. Um. Well, before I tell you that, I I have to tell you what sort of goals we set because because we really wanted to reach mostly the young people because we felt, and as a father of four, I I know very well that uh, the digital reality of of the virtual reality, our our children exist in Facebook and and, and iPhone and the rest, Twitter and all. So I, I think they are much less linked or connected to history and they find history boring and unimportant and who cares, right? They all live in the present presence. So <clears throat> now that the survivors are dying and, and in the growing absence of, of witnesses, I, I think that the, the memory of, 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 of the Holocaust is, might will fade. And so, so this was an auspicious time to kind of try to reach out and appeal to the young people to be vigilant and 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 constantly reflecting of of what is happening and i'm very happy to report to you sarah that in hungary especially in 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 um in i'm sure in hopefully in the us though the film is not released yet i had a lot of q and a's and meetings with high schoolers and you know they sit into this movie thinking ah oh, another you know melodramatic Kitsch, another another historical drama. Who cares? It was long ago, and it's just gonna be. And they are very surprised because because we 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 shake them. They they tell me in Hungary, over a hundred thousand people saw it, and the young people they were saying like, you know, my father asked me, my teacher told me to see this movie, but but after the movie they say, you know what, you surprised us. It's a different kind of movie than what we expected to see, and that is exactly the point. And here I understand that uh, Elie Wiesel saw the film. Elie Wiesel saw the film last night. And what was his thought? Well, Elie Wiesel is a Hungarian Jew, and I was very very, you know, happy that to see that first of all that he was there with his wife. And more importantly, that um, that that he loved the movie because he he's known, you know, when the Holocaust miniseries came out in in the TV on the right, be- you know, way before Schindler's. Actually, I think it was the, the 1980, early eighties. Um, he he was writing a critical piece in 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 the New York Times, and and of course, I, I fully agreed with him that he, he thinks that this is this subject matter. And the way usually they, they talk about it allows the viewer to emerge way too unscarred, you know, to be safe. So, so from he, hearing from Ali Wiesel that that we did not compromise, that that we did we did right with this movie, that that meant a whole lot to me. Geza Rorig, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Geza Rorig is the star of the new film Son of Saul. Son of Saul comes out next week. I urge you to go see it. It's really mind-blowing. We would love to know what you thought of our podcast today, so please do email us at podcast at tabletmag.com. If you like this conversation, please do share it on Twitter, on Facebook, however you share great audio. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm your host, Sarah Ivry. We thank you very much for joining us. Please join us again. 